Hey, Ribsy? Yes. <laughs> so what are some of the sillier animals he might have on his farm? I don't know. Probably like ducks on the land. Elephants. Zebras. Let me see. Giraffes. What sound does a giraffe make? Mm, it's clear you've never seen a giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you haven't either. So are you going to sing the original version of Old MacDonald for me? Yeah. One, two, one, two, three, four. Old MacDonald had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. And with that farm, he had a chicken. E-I-E-I-O. With a cluck cluck here and a cluck cluck there. Here a cluck, there a cluck, everywhere a cluck cluck. Old MacDonald had a weird farm. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was a preschool teacher, so I've heard a lot of Old MacDonald in my lifetime. And like many of you, I know all about the ducks over here and the cows over there and how his animals are, you know, everywhere. But recently, I wanted to know more about this farmer and his growing practices. I mean, the song says he's old, so he's probably got plenty to teach us, right? But despite that, there's not much history about the original Mickey D or his farming practices on the internet. And while Old MacDonald hasn't changed much over the years, the population and growing practices of farmers has. In fact, over the last decade, we've seen a trend of young millennials ditching their city lives for a simpler, more sustainable way of living on small farms of their own. According to U.S. Census data, this trend of millennials abandoning their desk jobs for working the fields began in 2012, when we saw the number of Gen X and baby boomer farmers starting to decline, and the number of farmers from age 25 to 34 increased by 2.2%. And millennials are bringing new ideas and approaches to growing with them, while focusing on sustainable agriculture, the stuff that gives back to the earth rather than depleting it. This is so important because traditional agriculture produces a significant amount of methane and nitrous oxide. In fact, according to the EPA, agriculture and forestry contributed to more than 10% of greenhouse gas emissions in 2018. What's also troubling is the fact that over-farming and tilling contribute to land degradation and desertification. But with this new generation of farmers integrating practices like regenerative farming, which sustains biodiversity and restores nutrients in the soil, I feel hopeful that these little green farms can make really big and positive changes to our environment. So let's dig in. Hey there, I'm Mangesh Atikadur, co-host of Part-Time Genius, one of the founders of Mental Floss, and this is Humans Growing Stuff, a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at miracle Grow. Our goal is to make this the most human show about plants you'll ever listen to. Along the way, we'll share inspiring stories, tips and tricks to nurture your plant addiction, and just enough science to make you sound like an expert. On this episode, we're taking a farming approach to the backyard, and specifically, regenerative farming. We'll dive into the latest sustainable farming techniques and learn how to apply them to our own gardens to make our yards a little greener with a greater good in mind. Chapter 12, Gardens, Our Tiniest Farms. For most of my interviews on this show, I start by asking our guests how they got into gardening or plant care. It doesn't always make it into the final cut, but I always love hearing our guests answer this question. 
Sometimes it's because they watched their parents or grandparents garden. Sometimes it's because they threw some popcorn seeds into the ground and were surprised something grew from them and just found wonder in it all. But one of the most common answers I've heard is this pull to nature, that they discovered the stronger connection to the earth when they got their hands dirty and started growing things and they just had to keep exploring it. But when I heard about the growing number of millennials starting small farms, I immediately wanted to learn more about who they are and what their motivations for growing seem to be. According to the National Young Farmer Coalition, this group of young farmers is more diverse than ever. College educated, optimistic about the future of farming, and dedicated to more sustainable agriculture, like regenerative farming. From the articles I've read and documentaries I've watched, their motivations aren't so different from the friends we've talked to here on the podcast. For millennial farmers, it's about creating a deeper connection to the earth. But it's also about changing agriculture for the better, in a way that gives back. I wanted to learn more about life on a small farm and regenerative farming, so I called up Hannah Gongola. Within a week of graduating college, Hannah became one of the many millennials who decided to sidestep a career in corporate America and buy a farm. Since then, she's dedicated her work to reconnecting people with their food and using these farming strategies to grow the most densely nutritious foods she can. Hey, Hannah, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, great. Well, it is so wonderful to have you on our podcast. Uh, the work you're doing is so inspiring. So so tell me, you get on this farm in college and you haven't done this type of work before. Was it surprising to you? Were, were, were there things that you, did you have this romantic vision of farming and then, and then suddenly you have to work a different way? So I grew up in a small town in West Virginia. So, I mean, I'm surrounded by, you know, mountains and wildlife all the time, but I grew up in uh-huh. center of a small town. So we had, you know, we could walk everywhere, but I didn't like grow up knowing how to use any kind of like tools, like, like a lawnmower. So first day they were going through all the tools we would be using, like string trimmers, lawnmowers, just like basic things. And they were going through this, (laughs) this weed eater. And they were like, yeah, so you just like start it just like a mower. They're like, okay, everyone good. And then they're like, yeah, yeah. And then I raised my hand. I was like, I don't know how to run a lawnmower. (laughs) You clearly fell in love with uh, farming. Like what, what about that experience? Did you really enjoy? There's something about going out in a field Uh, just in the morning and it being so quiet and you can just hear birds chirping. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's just pleasant. And you go and you just harvest a bunch of squash or you just go sit and you just hand weed or, you know, whatever it is you're doing, if it's fixing irrigation or something you don't really enjoy doing, I don't know. It's just kind of like the solitude of being out in the space alone. It's, 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 I don't know. It's spiritual almost. Yeah. It sounds really beautiful. I think what's so remarkable about you is that you're a first generation farmer. Yeah. Was that at all daunting? Like, like uh, what, what do your parents think of this? Um, so I like to say I'm a first generation farmer by choice. <laughs> so someone wasn't like threatening me saying like, you have to go into agriculture. Cause I mean, people don't choose agriculture right. to like make money. That's definitely not something you do. My parents are just kind of I guess on board with anything, if I'm like, this is what I'm, or if I'm changing a little bit of a direction or I'm like, Hey, I'm starting this like new project. They're like, okay. But (laughs) they're proud of me. They're proud of me, of course. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I mean, it's gorgeous, right? Like the, the property you have, your, your Instagram, the, the, the work you do is, is really, really cool. 
But I, I am curious, like, what was the learning curve like for you to to be a farmer? Because it feels like you're you're doing this all on your own. Do you do you have friends? Do you have resources? How how do you pick up things along the way? I learn every single day. I wouldn't I wouldn't even say that I've learned. Like, there's there's no completion of learning something, especially in this mm-hmm. in this field. Every season, you learn you know a new trick to something else. I learn about raising animals and little tweaks to, to make them healthier or stronger. But I, I have a great community of women behind me. So there are, Hmm. I want to say I have like a group of 12 women that I have, we have kind of a message board. For example, the other day, one of my calves um, had pink eye and I'd never dealt with that. And so I was like, guys, like I need your help. What do I do? Immediately everyone chimed in and like sent me what product to get they're like, you could do this, like you could do an herbal remedy, like this, that, and the other thing. And so I don't know what I would do without them. If, and they're the kindest people I've ever met. They're the strongest women I've ever met. That's incredible. And and so tell us about um, regenerative farming and, and why you've chosen to pursue those practices on your farm. There are a lot of reasons behind the kind of regenerative movement. One is soil erosion, building healthy soil. And I think that is a major one for me. So mm-hmm. natural, natural sunlight being in the ground, um, grown in soil. Cause you get so many nutrients, most of them from the soil. And so if it's, if it's not grown in soil, what's, what's the point? And so the first step is to make sure you have healthy soil and most places don't through, you know, conventional agriculture. Tilling is, is huge. And so, and so digging, um, which destroys soil and the soil health and the microbes in the soil and, pretty much all the nutrients and everything that, that creates a healthy system. And so through permaculture practices and, and no till, no dig, I hope to someday produce the, the most nutrient dense food that you can get in this area. That's really cool. And, and, and so explain what um, permaculture is for, for a second. Permaculture is permanent culture. So trees, shrubs, anything that's going to continue to come back or never leave year after year, uh-huh. corn and wheat, they're absolutely not permaculture. And most, most cash crops aren't because you dig them up when they're done. And then yeah. usually the, the way they're disposed of is they're maybe made into feed. And then that, that kind of leads into a whole nother realm of things that people disagree with. But they should be, you know, left on the ground for, for composting or, you know, green manure just a way to give the soil a little break um, uh-huh. and have a natural pasture, um, which then you can graze, of course. But but it needs it needs time to heal, and it, it doesn't get that time. And so so what is the um, this process of regenerating the soil like? Like what what exactly um, does that mean for for our listeners? So the way I'm doing it, there are several several probably tons of different approaches to it. The way I'm doing it is I'm cover cropping. Cover cropping is essentially planting or in this case, scattering different varieties of seeds that have deep root systems. They'll bring up essential nutrients um, to the top. And so I'll cover crop the entire pasture and then I'll graze it and then I'll plant tons of trees. Mm -hmm. And so I'll harvest. And then what I'll do is I'll chop them down and let them totally compost on the ground um, rather than Hmm. dig them up and and uproot their, their healthy soil. That's really cool. So one of the things we were wondering about is like climate change feels so overwhelming and kind of hopeless. And 
you know, it must feel good to be a part of that positive change that you see. Like, do you feel that like in, in the processes and things that you're doing on your farm? So I, I, I don't yet. So sometimes people, people Mm -hmm. ask me, they're like, they're like, wow, like what you're doing is, is awesome. Like, this is so cool. And I doesn't feel like I've accomplished anything yet anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the only way I can, can make any kind of change is just by doing exactly what I'm doing. And will my little, my little farm make any difference in the climate? Like maybe a small, tiny, minute percentage, Mm -hmm. but hopefully it more encourages and, and kind of educates and, in a way that's different than, than what we see in, in kind of like mainstream agriculture. Um, I, I saw that you have an Etsy shop and I love the coffee then cows t-shirt, which I'm really tempted by though. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous cause I feel like I might have to get cows next, but I, I, I'm curious, you know, you have so many sweet videos of all your animals. What do they bring to your farm for you? It's just, I mean, you look out at the field and you're like, yeah, that's a, that's a nice, that's a nice pasture. You know, the grass is green might see a bird or a, a bee, you know, fly away. And you're like, yeah, it's not a stagnant piece of land anymore. It's not just green grass. It's like there's life. Seeing them graze and seeing them as happy cows and happy chickens. And, you know, those are those are my animals and they're happy. And and they're just grazing on, yeah. on my land. And I mean, it's joyous. Oh, man. I just <laughs> I sit outside and I just in the morning sometimes and drink coffee and, and I watch them just just lay lay down. That is a good feeling. That's a very good feeling. <laughs> so do you see regenerative farming and eco-conscious practices as the future of agriculture? And, and does that give you a sense of hope? Yes, absolutely. I think the way farms are, so mostly conventional farms, even beef farming, it all gets a bad rep. And it's because the management of it and, and the practices. Mm-hmm. So when beef is poorly grazed, that affects the climate. Beef and cattle, they're, they're not bad. They're, they're just not supporting the climate that we need. And I think if we get those practices under control, people can still, you know, continue to, to eat beef the way they want. And they, they could actually be a positive change for climate change overall. It will create healthier soil. It'll create healthier food and it'll create healthier people. Um, and so it's, it's all one system. Everything affects everything. So I think it should be treated as such. And I hope other people see it like that too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think with greater awareness, there'll be more appreciation for it. Right. Do you think, do you think you have to be an optimist to be a farmer? That's a very good question. I don't know. I never met my fellow farmer friends before they were farmers. I don't know what their upbringing was like. I don't know them pre farm before I was, I would say that I was an optimist. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I think it helps for sure. Cause you can see the light at the end, even when it's really dark. I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. What do you think? I think, I think you do. I, I think you need to believe that your patience will bear out. And, and I think you have to believe in the earth and, and the seeds you're planting and, and expect that things at the end of the day will, will go right. Even if they go haywire a little bit. You're still going to have a bounty, you know, if, if not this year, next year. And, and I, I think it is an optimistic practice. Hmm. I think you're right. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for being on the program and, and talking about your farm. It's, it's really inspirational and, and I, um, I can't wait to order one of these t-shirts. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely get one of those t-shirts. <laughs>
Humans Growing Stuff. We'll be right back after a short break. So here's a little tangent. When I was a freshman in high school, I made the Quiz Bowl team and I was so excited because I got to go on TV. And when I did, the questions were so hard. There was a spotlight and cameras. I mean, I was supposed to be good at trivia and, you know, the host kept asking things and I didn't know one of them. And finally, he asked this question, what national student club goes by the initials FFA? And in my head, I'm thinking, this is my shot, right? Here's one I actually know. The future farmers of America. After a whole night under the spotlight and not knowing answers to things, I was gearing up to confidently press the buzzer. But did I buzz in in time? No. I was so nervous. I didn't buzz in and I didn't answer one question the whole night. And it was a total disaster. But this week, I was reading about farmers, and I stumbled into some facts about the future farmers of America, and it made me smile wide. In Delaware, where I grew up, it's actually a pretty active club in the southern part of the state. And in their efforts to promote sustainable practices, they host an environmental and natural resources career development event every year. And using demonstrations on water testing, soil, and environmental analysis, they're actually teaching the next generation of farmers how to better grow while caring for the earth, which I realized is exactly what Hannah's doing too. After my call with Hannah, I felt so inspired that I decided to call up another farm to garden expert, Jamie Brennan, to hear how to take these ideas and implement them into our own backyards. Jamie runs Gold Feather Gardens, which is Boise, Idaho's first kitchen garden coaching and consulting business. And when the pandemic began, Jamie traded in her full-time job as a travel writer and poured herself into gardening. And it wasn't long until Jamie found herself learning from farmers and then sharing what she learned with her clients who wanted to create their own kitchen gardens. Just like Hannah, Jamie's goals are strongly rooted in connecting people to their own food source. And by doing so, deepening their connections to the earth. Hey, Jamie, are you there? Hey, Mangesh, I am here. Well, I'm excited to chat with you because I learned all about Gold Feather Gardens. And I think your service is so wonderful because you're just there to help at any stage. I am curious, what is the difference between a sort of typical garden and a sustainable one, especially for someone who's growing in their own home? For me, a sustainable garden is all about the plants and seeds that you put in your garden. Yeah. When you really start to look into who's growing plants for your environment or who's growing seed, especially, you untap this whole potential for your garden in terms of, you know, not only its genetic diversity, but also its ability to adapt to the environment that you're in. We're really lucky. We have this wonderful seed co-op in Boise called Snake River Seed that's just globally known for the wonderful work that they're doing to bring back heirloom varieties, to support local farmers growing seeds. You'd be surprised how many local farms don't just sell at the farmer's market. They grow food for seed, which is a huge Hmm. income for them. That's a lot more sustainable than, you know, selling at the farmer's market, which can depend on the weather. That's fascinating. So yeah, seeds hold this incredible memory of where they're grown. And so if you start saving those seeds, they become adapted to the environment. And as our climate changes, as we have hotter summers, things like that, those seeds are just going to do better in your garden because they remember that growing season um, and how they were able to survive it. That's incredible. It's like epigenetics or something. Yeah, it's crazy. 
So, so tell me, what are some of the most challenging things about making that shift to these organic practices? And is it hard for someone to sort of like change their mindset about these things? Yeah, I would say the biggest challenge is probably convenience. Um, I find that for most of my clients, they have been sourcing where they're sourcing just out of convenience, you know, and I think a lot of it is just lack of knowledge. And so for me, I think growing your own food is something that's like super personal. All it takes is like a pot of soil and a seed. It can start super small. And so I was like, okay, I'll just teach people how to do that. And then as they grow, they will get more and more invested in that local food community because that's how I started. It's a slippery slope, in my opinion. <laughs> Once you see how hard it is to grow good spinach or grow a tomato, um, it's one of those things you just have more appreciation for the people who put that food on your plate, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I, I think that's true. So, you know, we were talking about these small spaces and you said something about like, I think 75 square feet outside of your home. What can you do with that amount of space? You can do so much. So I have a kind of a standardized planting plan that I give my clients and it starts at 50 square feet. Um, if you are new to gardening and you really want to grow just a little of your own food, I think 50 square feet is a great place to start. So in my 50 square feet right now, we are growing spinach, salad mix, onions. I just bought some cabbage, broccoli, kale, Swiss chard, and I'm basically growing just, I don't know, maybe 50 to 100 pounds of food in that space. So just a, a ton wow. of yield um, in just a really small space. So it's a way more active garden, um, but I also like to bill it as sort of more low maintenance because the more you plant, the less weeds you get, less pest pressure that you get because you're constantly in your garden tending to it. Um, so I say basically budget about a minute and a half per square foot in your garden. So if you have one minute to two minutes in your garden per day at 50 square feet, that's like an hour a week. Uh, hour and a half maybe of tending. So it, it really doesn't have to be uh, that much time. It's just kind of getting out there for 15 minutes a day and just checking on things is really how you take care of that amount of plants. I love that you have a formula for the amount of time it'll take you, you know, like, because I, I feel like in addition to being intimidated by what to grow and all this knowledge, there's this unknown in terms of time commitment, right? Like yeah. I'm going to get into this hobby, but I have no idea what it, what it'll take, or I want food on my table, but I don't know what it'll take. That That's really incredible. And I've never seen that anywhere. So what, what are some of the benefits of these sustainable practices in the garden? The reason that I grow in the most sustainable way possible, I don't really use plastic. I try to use wood or metal, things that can be recycled or go back to the earth is because that I think that Tending a garden and building a garden is kind of a way that we can recreate nature. I like to think of it in those terms of if we can create more gardens, we can create people who are fostering the sense of local food and basically creating this self-sustaining environment, then we can rely less on big farms. We can rely less on those things that otherwise we purchase to make us happy, kind of fostering this really healthy lifestyle. For me, the garden is a holistic experience in terms of it touches my whole life. And so, and I don't know if you've seen that movie, um, Kiss the Ground, that new documentary that Woody Harrelson produced. Oh I my haven't. gosh. Okay. So if you liked Biggest Little Farm, 
watch that movie. Again, I cried <laughs> the entire way through it. Um, I think that really speaks to how we as human beings who may or may not have caused climate change, depending on who you ask, can really take control of this situation with our purchases and with our practices. So bringing that sustainable mindset into the garden is it gives us that comfort of control. You know, you feel like there's nothing you can do to conserve the planet on your own. You feel a little bit overwhelmed by the problem. And for me, my solution to overwhelm is to take an action. And an action that every single person can take is to start a garden and use sustainable methods to do it. I like that. So, you know, we had this other uh, farmer that we talked to previously named Hannah um, earlier on this episode, and she was talking about cover cropping on the farm. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like in a backyard? Sure. So I have a saying that bare soil is bad soil. Um, so that's why I overplant in all of my beds. In the garden, I think, especially the way that I plant, I am always looking for new places to plant a seed and basically just kind of thin things out as you grow. The other aspect of cover crops is their nutrition that they add to the soil. Um, so mustard is a huge cover crop. Peas are a huge cover crop. Those families contribute to the soil. There are basically three types of feeders when it comes to vegetables. There's heavy feeders, light feeders, and then there's plants that actually add nutrition to the soil. And those are two that do that and they taste great. So huh. it's one of those things that if you think about cover cropping in those ways of, okay, it's a new season, my soil needs some nutrition, I'm going to put down some compost, but I'm going to basically plant my peas on this trellis where my tomatoes are going to grow this summer. And so when I plant those tomatoes, they're just going to be in this super rich space. So planting that and then instead of pulling the whole plant out, snip it at the root line um, so that those at the soil level, snip it at the soil level so that all those roots will kind of die back and contribute to the soil in terms of their nutrition. You know, Hannah, the farmer also talked about the benefits of having livestock uh, and what it does for the soil. Obviously, cows aren't something uh, that are easy to keep in a backyard in Brooklyn, uh, but <laughs> what kind of smaller livestock can we bring into our homes instead? So we got chickens this year, which have been such a joy. They're like little dogs. Um, some, <laughs> some of them are not so nice and some of them I want to bring into the house. I was so surprised at how low maintenance they are as long as they have kind of like a protected area and food and water. Um, they are super happy, quiet, and clean. Ducks are another good option. Rabbits are awesome as well. Um, rabbits need very little space. They'll eat all of your garden scraps and their manure is, you can put it right into your garden without composting it. It's super safe. Huh. And the pet that nobody talks about, but that is my personal favorite, is worms. I have a worm bin in our garage. You can have a worm bin anywhere, in an apartment, a kitchen. If you have a garage, they're great. If you do them right, they don't smell. They, You just have to feed them once a week, once every two weeks with whatever compost is in your compost bin. Um, and they give you worm castings, which you can put right into your garden, which most farmers refer to as black gold. It is 
seriously the best thing you can put in your garden to make it grow. And I am someone who buys a ton of organic produce and I hate throwing it away. I don't even want to feed it to my chickens because I paid good money for that stuff. And so to turn it into (laughs) something that I can use again for me is just a no-brainer. And yeah, like I said, a worm bin, you can put it literally anywhere. Yeah, my kid Ruby had worms as their class pet. Uh, and they had 500 worms and they're like, we have more class pets than anyone else. Like, yes, that's so <laughs> I got awesome. very into the teacher bought every kid in the class, a, a, oh. a t-shirt that said, ask me about my worms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Worm farming is a huge thing. And those little guys are just workhorses. They do incredible work. So, you know, you've gotten more and more into gardening, into this world. Do you feel like your relationship with the earth has changed since you started? Yes, absolutely. I I listen to a lot of Oprah um, and <laughs> she talks a lot about people relating to plants in this way of like we are, we started as seeds and we grew into plants and like we will one day go back to seed and this like cycle sort of starts all over again. And I think For me, especially in this time where we're lacking a lot of hope for the future, I think it's so refreshing and motivating to go outside and see this cycle constantly repeating itself of these plants have this incredible resilience and our earth has this incredible resilience that if we, you know, tend to it just mindfully, we can really help it get back to its natural state just by planting a seed. And so thinking about seeds as they germinate, they're this really tender, young thing like newborn babies. And then they grow into these super strong plants that experience stress. They experience weather and pests and they have to really fight for their lives. And then they create this wonderful fruit, this wonderful edible thing for us to eat. And then they produce seeds and they do it all over again. And so I think for me, watching that life cycle has just been, <laughs> has helped me really get through, I guess, the darkest days of this year and has just gives me so much hope for our planet and for um, the future so much so. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think bearing witness to that process and, and contributing to it too is, is just sort of a remarkable thing we can all do. So what do you think makes you passionate or keeps you passionate about sharing your knowledge with um not just your customers, but with people? I mean, I am someone I have discovered who really values authenticity and connection. Um, I really have this endless hope for people. Um, I'm a natural optimist. And so I do believe that everyone is doing their best. Um, And so when I start to talk about gardening, I swear I like black out because I just am so inspired, honestly, in what we can create with our gardens. I am, before I was a gardener, I was a writer, I was a journalist, I traveled, I worked with people and food in so many different ways. When I got into journalism, I always said I had a passion for people with passion. And I swear, you have never met people with more passion than gardeners. (laughs) And so I would say that's probably my motivation is just being inspired by all these people creating things. Yeah, it's it's easy to be evangelical about something like this, right? Something you're so passionate about. It's funny you were talking to, talking about optimism because um, Hannah, the the farmer, and I were talking about whether you had to be an optimist to be a farmer, and and I do think there's some 
some certain amount of hopefulness and optimism you need to put a seed in the ground and believe it'll grow. You know, I, I, I think there's something to that. And, and I think that ritual keeps you optimistic. Totally. And I think remembering to be kind to yourself when things don't grow or when things die, that's really just part of our lives is this kind of failure rate and being okay with failure. I think that that's something mm. that I have learned a lot in the garden that I did not learn in school and did not learn in my family. <laughs> it is okay to fail because you can plant another seed and you can take another step and take another action because you've now learned, you know, what works or doesn't work. Yeah. Jamie, this has been so wonderful and so nice to chat with you. And I love all the tips and I hope people go check out your site because what you're doing is really wonderful. Thank you so much. I feel really grateful to have this opportunity and be in this place. So thank you so much. I am now convinced that there's nothing cooler than owning small livestock. And should I be online at 3 a.m. in the morning looking at how much baby Highland cows cost and trying to convince my friends to go halvesies with me? Probably not, but I'm dreaming big about a calf in the big city. Could I take it on the subway? Could I try to institute a bring your cow to work day or pitch it as some sort of therapy animal? After too many hours, I've decided to downgrade my goals to ornamental chickens instead and what sort of tracksuit I might buy for one. Because I actually found a designer who makes tracksuits for chickens online. But other than my obvious interest in having a pet I can dress and walk around with, chickens actually have real value in the backyard. They produce good manure that is an excellent soil amendment once composted, and they're definitely photogenic. Just ask Cody of the Instagram account, Cody's Chickstagram. Cody is a member of the FFA and has nearly 70 chickens he's documented on Instagram to a very eager crowd. If you're down the chicken hole like me, check out the hashtag chickens of Instagram. You really won't be disappointed. It's incredible the amount of optimism and hope that Jamie and Hannah both have for growing and the relationship they've forged with the earth. It actually reminds me a lot of Brooke Burke, the TV host and founder of the fitness app, Brooke Burke Body. Brooke is probably one of the most positive people I've met, and she's an avid home gardener. I wanted to share with her some of the lessons I learned from Hannah and Jamie, but I also wanted to find out how she's approaching sustainability in her own backyard and home. Hey, Brooke, are you there? I'm here. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. You know, it's funny. I think of you as this incredible host and dancer and personality and this fitness expert, but it's only recently that I got to peek into your gardening uh, uh, journey online and and see some of your gardens. And so I was curious, how long have you been into gardening? Well, first of all, I have to say, since you had a a look inside, I'm surprised that we're still doing the show together because you know it's a hot mess. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, I, this whole year has been such a a conscious shift. And I feel like everyone is spending more time at home, but you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a home chef and I have four kids and I love to be outside. And so I, I do so much, I spent so much time in my kitchen that I wanted to create sort of a sustainable, you know, project in my own backyard that I could plant with my children and pick from. And I love spending time at the farmer's market. And I go to all these like bougie, expensive, like organic 
grocery stores. And I'm like, what mm-hmm. am I doing? Let <laughs> me just take advantage of the land and create what I have at home. And I got to tell you, I had no idea how difficult this was going to be. I'm not proud of how my garden looks. I'm proud that I have it, <laughs> but I am by no means a gardener. <laughs> so I'm actually here to learn and to, and to do better, you know, to get better at it. So, uh, you know, you talked about um, gardening with your kids, which I really like, and I, I'm curious, what are the things that they've gotten excited about in your garden? I, I think it's an opportunity for us just to, to do something together as a family and to have that project. I don't know that they get the meaning of it like I do, but I think they take the memories with them. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of going out there and doing something simple and natural. And it's really hard. Like, you know, it's 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 hard in, with their generation. You know, it's a very digital world. I, I celebrate it. I respect it. But I also try to maintain it for them. And also this year of the digital classroom, my kids have missed an entire year. I've had a daughter graduate from high school on a Zoom. I have a gra- oh, daughter wow. graduating from college on a Zoom where you like click a button, Naraya yeah. Fisher graduated. It's like, what? Really? So it, it brings us back to a simplicity, I think, of real life. And that's a really hard thing to teach. Yeah. So what's new in the garden and what are you excited about now that it is spring? Um, sadly, nothing because I'm getting ready to plant. So <laughs> I'm looking into, you know, proper soil, which I really don't know the science behind that. And again, it's going to be one big experiment. And and you've also got roses, right? I, I saw a, a photo of like, like a beautiful rose garden. What do you love about that? And, and are they perfumed? Like, like, do you, does it smell amazing to walk through that area? It does. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to pick garden roses, even though sometimes they look funny and every season develops, you know, a new look. I love the color. I love the fragrance and an impossibly romantic little background story. You know, my ex-husband David and I built the home that I'm still in. He had a Jeep that he, it was his 16 year old childhood Jeep. And he saved this Jeep for decades. And when it came time to start landscaping our property, he traded the Jeep in for, I think it was like 300 rose bushes. Oh, wow. And I I love that idea of gift giving too, right? Like there's something really, really lovely and special about giving something from your backyard. I think so. You know, in in addition to that story of trading in the Jeep for the roses being something that's really romantic, there's also something strangely like ecological or sustainable about that idea, right? Trading in a car for plants. I think so. So, so tell me a little bit about, I I love that you've, you know, moved these classes outside and, and that you feel this like real connection to the earth and the land. And I'm, I'm curious, like, does that relationship feel more tangible than it did before? And, and, uh, and do your, do the people in your classes feel that connection as well? I, I think so. Opening up my backyard was something that I, I never really thought about doing. And I never thought about the possibility of laying in my backyard with people like on the grass, like who would want to do that? I, I really thought that who would want to come to a fitness class and lay on the grass? You know, you want a sound system, you're at a studio. That's how I've been teaching for years. You want that visual experience. And I got to tell you, I don't know when I want to go back to a classroom ever again. Yeah. And I know we're going to get back to some type of normal, whatever that looks like. But I have seen people outside in my backyard cry, release, fall asleep, stay longer. You know, there's usually a rushing out of a class, a new class is coming in. That's why I end with my sound bowls and with meditation because it gives people an opportunity to just stop and check out of their headspace rather and tap into their body space and just lay there and look at things that they haven't paid attention to. Mm. I really appreciated that. Yeah. 
So we, we've talked a lot about food and you mentioned that you visit local farmers markets. So I, I'm guessing it's safe to say that eating organic is important to you. But um, yes, why has that been important? And and would you say it's been a driving force behind your own um gardening practices? Well, I think so. I mean, I, I also love the experience of farmer's markets because I'm supporting my, our local farmers, mm-hmm. but there's also certain things that you just, you're just not going to find in a grocery store. Like I learn when I go to the farmer's market because yeah. you're going to discover something or some, something funny or a different flavor. So, but it's such a great experience and I discover things. Yeah. I mean, I, we used to live in, when I lived in Atlanta, three blocks from the farmer's market and, and we'd walk there every Sunday morning and, you know, the whole community would, would come out, but, but you'd come home with this like bounty of strange vegetables Mm -hmm. and there's excitement (laughs) around like what to do with them. Right. It's like, it's like being back from a candy shop or something. Right. And, and everyone's, you know, evangelizing about like how excited they are about this new, this new fruit or this new vegetable or this thing you've got to try or, or, you know, and, and I love that. I love that. I mean, the visual, I'm very visual. So for me, if I come home with all these beautiful things, first of all, it makes me want to cook. It makes me want to eat healthier. It makes me want to experiment with salads. So it makes me want to make colorful food. And that's a really simple visual that I, 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 I wrote a blog about it a long time ago at Mother Mom about eating the colors of the rainbow. You know, I did this recipe of what I call a junk salad, and it's literally like taking all the leftovers, everything uh. that you have that you're not going to waste, and make it colorful and crunchy from nuts to seeds to different vegetables and salads and different types of lettuce. And it's really fun. And I feel like this was a year of being aware of how much we waste. Yeah. Yeah. Figuring out how to be creative and, and make, I mean, I make these delicious, we call them junk salads, and everybody <laughs> loves them. This year, we did realize how much we waste, not just because because of the pressures of the pandemic, but also um, composting stopped in New York, like the city stopped com- composting. And so you suddenly realized how much more trash you were throwing out without, yeah. um, you know, with all the food scraps in there. And, it's crazy. and I, I was curious, do you compost in, in your garden or your yard? I don't because I, I, but I'm going to this year and Mm. I, I really am going to do a little research project with my family because, you know, even recycling, it takes time and discipline and it's super important. So I'm, I'm in the process of doing all that and just learning rather. I'm in the process of learning how I can be better you know, at that whole, that whole process. Yeah. I, we had, um, Baratunde Thurston on the show and he was saying that, his mornings, he, you know, meditates and journals and then he gets a cup of coffee and goes out and spins this uh, cylinder he's got for compost and mm. it's just and then checks on his garden in the mornings. And mm. there's something it's it's funny because you think of compost and there's nothing romantic about it. And then the way he described it, it was like, I oh, love that. it's like a <laughs> see, ritual. <laughs> see, now, now I'm in. <laughs> You know, we've been talking a lot on the show about how about how the world needs more empathy and, and whether or not caring for plants can make us better humans. And and I was wondering your thoughts on that. Well, I think so. I, I think it's, I mean, it's not, not everybody can really, really understand it. I mean, sometimes my friends come over and they're like, how come your indoor plants are so amazing? I'm like, well, I always play music in the house. Um, <laughs> it's not like I'm walking around talking to my plants, but I might. Yeah. I'm like, I, I love them. You know, yeah. I mean, I dust the leaves on my, on my fig trees in my house because I know they need to breathe, you know? Yeah. Um, I see how they change shape because I know that they're moving towards the light. So I, I think that experience is, is really important. And you know what? If you neglect your plants, yeah, they're going to die. Yeah. They're going to die. But like bring that back to center, right? 
So are we. Like if we don't take care of our body, not to be morbid, but if you don't take care of your health, if you don't get outside and, you know, get some fresh air or get some vitamin D, you know, maybe you live somewhere where you don't have that that often. Find something that feels good, movement, rhythm, breath. Those are the things that change you, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so I I think we we need to take advantage and kind of lean into that. You know, it's it's really important. I love that. You know, Brooke, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And I, I know that we were talking about time being precious, but thank you so much for spending time with us. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm going to make you proud of me <laughs> when you see the new garden, the new garden that's about to take place. I'm, I'm really excited about this season. That sounds wonderful. We're looking forward to checking it out. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this time. If Old MacDonald was rewritten today, it would be less Old MacDonald and more Millennial MacDonald. And if the women I spoke to on this episode are any indication, we also wouldn't be so quick to gender Farmer MacDonald as male either. I'm a little too old to be a Millennial myself, but I do like how this generation has broadly tackled the world. As Malcolm Harris's book Kids These Days described it, They faced a hostile job market, soaring tuitions and declines in wages. But growing up connected and tapped into technology has imbued millennials with a different sense of purpose. And as a Goldman Sachs survey showed, they're self-starters. They care more about exercise and wellness. They smoke less than previous generations. They help spawn the sharing economy, valuing experiences over possessions. And they're focused on solutions to community and global issues. And while there's a whole lot of work to be done to repair things like climate change, I have to admit, I find comfort in hearing about these movements of sustainable growers. People like Hannah and Jamie, people who see the plants we care for as our direct connection to Mother Nature and a way to give back and make our footprints just a little smaller. If millennials can make an entire industry think more sustainably, imagine the model they're setting for the next generations. When I hear about things like tree planting campaigns reaching its goal to plant 20 million trees and and that ecosystem restoration camps are popping up around the world with volunteers showing up to get their hands dirty for a cleaner earth, I wonder what will Ruby and Henry's generation do to build off this momentum? Will they create their own organic kitchen gardens with a chicken coop and compost bins out back? Will they figure out new ways to farm and protect our earth? Or maybe they'll rewrite the song completely. One, two, one, two, three, four. Young McDonald had a sustainable farm. E-I-E-I-O. And on that farm he had organic milk. E-I-E-I-O. With healthy soil here and happy cows there. Here a yip, there a yeah, everywhere a yip, yeah. Young MacDonald had a sustainable farm. Let's say the earth I owe. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for today's episode. Don't forget, no matter what season it is or where you're at in your gardening journey, there are some incredible resources waiting for you on the Miracle Grow website. Next time on our show, we're exploring the world of tiny plants. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your inspiring plant stories, relatable struggles, or growing questions? 
Tag us in your post or tweet using the hashtag humans growing stuff. And don't be surprised if you hear your story featured on an upcoming episode. Humans Growing Stuff is a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at Miracle Grow. Our show is written and produced by Molly Sosha and me, Mangesh Hatigler, in partnership with Ryan Ovedia, Daniel Ainsworth, Haley Erickson, and Garrett Shannon of Banter. Till next time, thanks so much for listening. Hold up. 